Welcome back to the Paranormal Girl podcast. I am your host, Kristen. Today's guest has joined us in the past to discuss things like cattle mutilation, crop circles, abduction, and folkloric or historical connections to paranormal phenomena. It is my pleasure to welcome him back onto the show. Today, we are talking about two creatures perfect for spooky season, Tommyknockers and the Wendigo. Jason Cordova has been studying the paranormal for almost 20 years now and always brings incredible experience and knowledge with him. So cannot wait to share this one with you. Let's do a word from our sponsor and then we'll get into it. Ladies across the nation, this episode is brought to you by Manscaped. The brand that took your man's balls to space is now taking them to the ultrasphere. Introducing Manscaped's fifth generation performance package featuring the all new Lawnmower 5.0 Ultra. 5.0, with new cutting edge designs and next generation skin safe blade heads for different shaves, it's pretty much a spaceship to take his shaving game to the next level. Have him join the 9 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped by going to manscaped.com for 20% off and free shipping with the code PNG. High tech for low places. Manscaped. The performance package and Lawnmower 5.0 Ultra are here. And guys, gals, totally worth the wait. The fifth generation trimmer comes with a couple of new way cool features. First up, you got two interchangeable next gen skin safe blade heads. So you can go standard and just take a little off the top or pop on the new foil blade to go smooth wherever y'all's hearts desire. This other feature is pretty rad. The Lawnmower 5.0 Ultra comes with dual LED spotlights, which provides lighting contrast for multiple skin tones. So wherever you're trimming, you've got options to achieve that best groom yet. And it also comes with three length setting combs and a little carrying case to tuck it in at night. This baby has been a lot of fun to play with and to try it out. I especially like the dual spotlights. And of course, it being waterproof. Anything that saves me time and makes grooming easier has my appreciation. So try this newness for yourself. Go get it for your fella and get 20% off and free shipping with the code PNG at manscaped.com. That's 20% off plus free shipping with the code PNG at manscaped.com. His boys have been through enough. It's time to go ultra with Manscaped. Today's guest is the president and co-founder of the Society for Arcane Studies, a group dedicated to the study of strange and unusual phenomena. He's previously worked as a field investigator with MUFON and has spent decades exploring the world of the paranormal. He also served as an aviation electronics technician for the U.S. Navy and is currently earning his master's degree in folklore. He has certainly done a lot. Please enjoy my conversation with Jason Cordova. Pleased to, to have you back on. Um, you you always just bring such great information with you. Uh, you're very knowledgeable about 
so much of this stuff. So it, it's always a blast to talk to you. And and you are a first for the show today, third appearance on the show. And uh, I just, oh wow, yeah, I just cannot cannot wait to talk with my friend again. So today we are talking cryptids, not just any cryptids, some specific mm -hmm. cryptids. And uh, you're mm -hmm. you're going to tell us about these and elaborate a bit, and uh, maybe give us uh, some some misconceptions and misunderstandings of uh, of one of them in particular. We'll get into that shortly. But first, because we haven't spoken since February. I've gained uh, some new followers. I've welcomed some new ears to the show. Uh, I would love it mm -hmm. if you would just reintroduce yourself to my audience. Sure. Yeah, I'd be happy to. So I am the president and co-founder of the Society for Arcane Studies, formerly known as the Crypto Science Society. Unfortunately, we had to change the name due to some uh, unfortunate uh, associations with another thing that involves crypto. Uh, we won't talk too much about that. Um, but essentially, the the point, uh, the, the essence of the name stays the same. The idea of studying the hidden in our world. And uh, I've been studying uh, along those lines as a paranormal investigator for very close to 20 years now. I've also worked as a, well, I've, uh, uh, I was involved with uh, the Mutual UFO Network as a field investigator. And um, now I am pursuing my master's degree in folklore uh, to balance everything out. And what's really kind of interesting, I, I have found that studying these kinds of things from a perspective of, from the folklore perspective versus from a paranormal investigator point of view, you definitely get a very different view of of everything and it actually uh, can be can be very uh, kind of freeing and refreshing in a way um, to to look at it from this perspective so i'm excited to talk a little bit further on that but before we do i did want to uh welcome you as uh formally welcome you as a member to uh -huh. the society for arcane studies uh, I've working with you, you've contributed some to uh, quite a bit to the field and to uh, love your perspective. You know, you definitely represent uh, kind of the archetype of the open-minded skeptic and thoroughly researched and um, without bias and uh, really um, presenting the, the, the full depth of knowledge with with a, a really strong mindfulness of cultural uh, intention, right? Uh, which is really the, the core of, of what we try to do. So I want to thank you for that and uh, formally welcome you to the group. Well, thank you. Hope for uh, a lot more collaboration in the future. Absolutely. No, I, I, I do look forward to uh, collaborating with you all. And I, I had not yet announced it on the show, so thank you, thank you for taking the opportunity to do so, and uh, and welcoming me aboard. And I just really look forward to working with everybody. Um, and uh, yeah, yeah, we'll see what the future holds here, what we're going to get into. Uh, well, with that, uh, since we're on the subject of Society for Arcane Studies, uh, because there there were some changes recently. Uh, some people might this might be a new 
title and term to people and and some of my new listeners might not know as much about it um so why don't you brush us up a little bit you told us what you guys are after and what and what we're about uh brush us up on uh what's new with the society what uh what are what are you guys getting into these days well uh appearing on a lot of podcasts actually <laughs> um besides the name change a lot of us are a lot of the the core members are actually in the midst of pursuing various degrees you know on the phd level graduate level you know myself with the masters um heather our uh, you may remember heather from previous episodes um she is uh, working on her bachelor's and so we're all keeping pretty busy with our academic studies mostly but uh working working little bits of um whatever we can, when we can, uh, to contribute to the group and our delving into the unknown. Yeah. Um, yeah. What I, uh, traveling. Yeah. I'm so sorry. There's sorry. <laughs> that lag. I keep stepping on you. Yeah, I, know. <laughs> I was just going to mention, uh, uh, something that I love, um, about this, this core group of people specifically is that yes, highly educated, but a lot of you have degrees that are symbiotic with this study or somehow connected or supporting of the study of the unknown, such as it says on the website, as we can see. Um, and, uh, I don't know how I can how I can uh, contribute uh, with my drama degree, but uh, you know I'll do my best. I'll be your actor. <laughs> well, and that's something that I I think we've um, I, I really want to make sure that people understand too that you know there's there's a lot of academic elitism, you know, and it doesn't necessarily need to be the case sometimes. Now, uh, of course, there is. Um, it is important to be mindful of uh, th there are professional uh, considerations too. Like I'm working on my master's degree in folklore, but I wouldn't consider myself a folklorist yet. Meanwhile, that doesn't mean to say that you um, necessarily need these higher degrees to be able to have critical thinking skills, right. to um, work diligently and, and have and execute the study with research ethics, right? Which is what you're you're doing here. And there are lots of different angles one can take to, you know, having very different perspectives on things. So um, every little bit, uh, every different kind of perspective uh, contributes something different. And you never know, you know, what you what you've got, right? Yeah. Well, um, so. You just told us about, uh, you know, the recent changes, what you all are are about, what are you what you guys are getting into, um, and the study of it. What kinds of cases do does the society actually investigate? Um, well, anything, <laughs> anything and everything, really. Um, <laughs> most of I would say mo most of the time, some of the the cases that have been brought forth you know people that contact us to uh investigate things have been everything usually it's kind of the the poltergeist kind of thing the haunting you know somebody's got a, a spirit attached to them some some form or another um and they want us to come help us with that situation mm -hmm. 
but there we've also been called to go out on a cattle mutilation case uh, crop circles um ufo abduction um all all manner of <laughs> all manner of strange and unusual mm-hmm. uh but probably the most common that we get contacted to to look into uh is more like the common haunting kind of okay. scenarios that also but uh, because of the collaborative nature of the organization we've always encouraged people to come forward with anything they uh, any what, whatever they want to look into whatever they want to study one of the things uh, that we did when we first started back at the metropolitan state university of denver when we were a student organization was we had uh, at our monthly meetings we would have a discussion topic that one person we would take turns or a person would lead it right write a brief report do a little presentation and then we'd all kind of talk about our thoughts on it and that kind of evolved into uh, different uh, forms of projects that uh, kind of brought us to where we are so that is something uh, all the members are highly encouraged to bring forward anything they're they're interested in doing okay well i you know i asked that uh for for a specific reason uh because i noticed um on the website it also says that you have investigated bigfoot encounters and while today Mm -hmm. we are not focusing on bigfoot you and i um i i was curious if you've ever been asked to investigate uh, cryptids other than bigfoot have you ever had any of those cases yes we we did get contacted by some uh, we've been contacted by a few people who have had um sightings of large birds uh like larger than large birds kind of in the category uh you know thunderbird on the cryptid scale uh no kidding yes wow are um, you are you free to talk about the, uh like what you guys did for the case yeah honestly this particular the most recent one it it honestly didn't get too far um the person who contacted us had um you know they basically they shared their story and uh we tried to follow up with them but it didn't really go too far it seemed like they kind of just wanted to you know they had their story to share and um but we were prepared to to roll out to go yeah go go out to the site to see what we could find but unfortunately that particular one didn't didn't go much farther than that okay. um on the uh, aside from that though we did do a uh uh, an armchair report on generally uh, the lore around um, sightings of large, like un- unnaturally large birds or uncharacteristically <laughs> large birds. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I did see on the, uh, on the podcast, it was an older episode that you guys had done an episode specifically mm-hmm. on Thunderbirds and, and large birds and yeah. all of that. So yeah very interesting oh wow i didn't i didn't realize that that there there was a case for that that you know it and it's it's actually it's not surprising sometimes when i hear that like yeah they 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 put in their story and then you know gone you never hear from them again because you know people get afraid or or scared or nervous to to 
be associated with that possibly. I mean, there, you mm -hmm. know, there's a lot of reasons why they wouldn't want to proceed with something like that. But um, yeah, so interesting. And I did a little bit on Thunderbirds. We'll have we'll have to have you back and talk about those at length. But uh today. Mm -hmm. I would love to talk with you about uh, two cryptids in particular, two creatures in particular. I shouldn't say cryptid because I don't know anything about one of them. We're going to start with Tommyknockers. Okay. Okay. And when I say I don't know cool. anything about them, I couldn't even describe one to you. I don't know. Really? Uh, Stephen King Nothing wrote else. a book. Completely from scratch. Stephen King wrote a book. That's it. That's it. Stephen so, King. Actually, interesting. Stephen King is going to come back as a theme today. Oh, based okay. On, <laughs> based on the, the topics. Um, yeah. So stand by. Uh, no. Um, yeah. Okay. Cool. Tommy Knockers, which, uh, you know, from the, from the get-go, we do kind of get into muddy water there with the just kind of identifying a cryptid, right? Uh, it's one of those like, how do we categorize these things, really? You know, we're, we're, we're splitting hairs on who gets to go where. But so there are some who would probably debate the validity of calling a Tommyknocker a cryptid. Um, there are elements of their morphology that kind of fall into, could fall into the category of those kind of fae, kind of trickster or protector entity kind of um, lore. And there's also elements of, you know, just straight up haunting activity. But essentially, a Tommyknocker, as, as we know them in particular in Colorado, uh, they are a, a small creature that is said to be the caretakers and watchful guardians of the mine as in you know old you know 19th century mining operations this is uh, where uh, this this lore of this creature comes from okay it is descended from an older tradition called simply knockers um the cornish miners back in britain had a similar association with very distinctly fey type entity that was revered and honored and respected um, offerings were left and communications were made with these beings in order to maintain healthy and safe mining operations if the knockers were upset then the mine is not going to do well and uh, the workers within are also um, would also be in trouble so it was very important to make sure a good relationship with these creatures was maintained. Um, immigrant miners made their way to the West during the gold and silver rushes in the 19th century. And the uh, what emerged then was the um, an Americanized version of the same sort of being with the distinct uh, American twist on it. They were Tommyknockers. They get their name uh, from the fact that they you hear uh, you can hear them knocking uh, little bangs and pops within the mind. And that's how you know that the tummy knockers are there and that they're happy. Sometimes they're said to lead uh, lead to a, a good vein or lead folks away from danger. So they'll actually knock knock in a direction of, of, of a good vein or mm -hmm. to avert danger? Correct. Oh, okay, okay. Right, right. Actually, one of the rare... Uh, rare instances where it's actually wise to follow some kind of 
Faye being when they're calling, right? Usually um, every other scenario is pretty distinctly caution cautionary against, you know, don't 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 follow if you hear your name called kind of thing. That's that's usually a thing, uh, and that still holds true here. But specifically when the knocking uh, the knocking is is assigned to follow either towards prosperity or to get away from danger. Okay. Are you referring to when uh, don't follow when you hear your name called? Is that is that a connection to like Appalachian lore? Or... That is actually pretty consistent throughout m- most fate type lore that I'm aware of. Oh, okay. Okay. Um, at least we'll say off the top of my head, I can confidently say throughout most of the anglicized world, if nothing else. Okay. Um, there are some, you know, some crossovers and amalgamations in colonized regions, but generally speaking, yes, that's okay. that's pretty standard. Okay. Now it was uh, these Cornish miners. This is kind of where where the legend is born with the Cornish right. miners. Yes, okay. the lineage of Tommy Knockers specifically is confidently traced through. Uh, Cornish miners. Okay. Yes. Okay. How how long back does this span? How long is their lore? Mm, that is a good question. Um, at least I will confidently say it's at least a few hundred years back from the 19th century. So we're looking at a good 500 year uh, or so time period where you can start really identifying. Yeah, this is. This is where we start recognizing this particular descriptions of this particular entity distinctly. Now, before that, you know, I don't know specifically. Uh, I I would assume it probably can go back farther. But as far as like the distinct references to the knockers and the Tommy knockers. Okay. Um, what uh, what do they look like? How are they described? Ah, great question. Um, Usually, they're associated with kind of green, uh, green lights, green mists, um, different, uh, slightly different variations in color. Um, most commonly, you know, uh, in di- uh, uh, distinct points of light, um, disembodied lights. Um, but usually, the green tint is pretty, um, pretty notable. Um, you know, within the mine, you know, uh, miners use their little; they have little uh, headlamps. Back in the back in the old day, they would have a uh, just a candle with a mirror to help light their way. So sometimes, when uh, when lights would be seen in the mine, and that they were known to not be associated with one of the members of the mining team, that was a, a good indicator that it was a Tommy knocker. Okay. Um, these. Uh, so yes, I think I'm I'm getting a little bit lost. What, no, that's the okay. Lights. No, what do they look like? Um, well, yeah, yeah. So for um, for the Tommy knockers themselves, are they? Do they actually have a physical description? And I know that that can be hard to kind of nail down too. But if if they're fey like, are they are they a, a bipedal kind of creature? Yeah. troll like. So right. So like I said, more often than not, it's just the lights and the knocking. But okay. when they are seen manifest, they look just like little people, kind of like gnomes. Oh, long beards and dressed similarly to the miners themselves. Okay, I'm I'm thinking of Snow White for some reason. <laughs> the connection. A little to bit, Snow- yeah, a yeah. little bit, yeah. Okay, right? Yeah. Um, but and usually again, 
but green garments. Right. Those are commonly very distinctive. It's, you know, that green color is, is usually pretty consistent. Now, later on, though, um, and particularly in the Colorado mines, in, say, the later 19th century, early 20th century, we start getting associations with them actually being the spirits of uh, miners who have died in accidents. Oh, wow. And that they are either haunting the mine and it is now cursed and they have become a Tommyknocker. They become part of the mine uh, itself and their their destiny is now intertwined. Or they are um, they have been taken by some some spirit of the mine right um so there are some of these stories where a a mine was was no good and a miner had heard their name being called and they were uh, led to their doom in an open shaft or something and then became one of the tommy knockers Ooh, this is this is perfect uh, material for October. <laughs> this, mm-hmm. is, this is creeping mm. me out. It's also very cold in my house right now. So I'm like, okay. In particular, those those that was a story from uh, I believe near Central City, Colorado, near um, uh, oh, what's the name of this? Um, oh, Victor, Victor, Colorado. It's a it's an old mining town. And then there's there's a lot of you know uh, all of these all of these old old towns and cities really classic wild west stuff mm-hmm. you know all these boom towns growing up around these these mining operations really a lot of activity a lot of prosperity but a lot of the kind of rough and tumble stuff mm-hmm. uh, in the meantime but then you've got all of this Tommyknocker lore uh, associated with the mines and mining is is and always has been an incredibly dangerous activity right um in extremely labor laborious um a lot of uh, intense hardship and a lot of uh, labor union conflict mm-hmm. uh, arose around it so there's all kinds of you know emotional investments on all sides for this kind of uh, situation and um there's there's even stories of Tommy knockers coming into the town, um, and in this form, actually, as a, a more of the ghost spirit kind of form of a miner who has lost their life in <clears throat> in the mine or even in in the labor wars. Okay, so it sounds like I I see what you're saying where it, it gets a little muddy water here trying to classify it as a cryptid. It it seems to me the way you're describing this entity creature it's 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 like paranormal meets cryptid or cryptozoology because if you're taking cryptid just as it's a hidden animal it's a physical thing it's Mm -hmm. it's explainable we haven't found it so paranormal Mm -hmm. meets this cryptid world um and just kind of the perfect meshing of the two but then again in in the mine in the minor culture right the cultural mindset of the mining community that made that tommy knocker the term tommy knocker maybe doesn't necessarily need to specifically identify a particular entity mm-hmm. more so that it's looking towards anything weird or supernatural that is connected to the mind could be just considered generally as a Tommy knocker. Okay. Got you. Okay. Well, I, I only had one more question on the Tommy knocker and then we are going to move on to our other cryptid. Um, 
are folks still having this experience in the modern day? Hmm. That is a good question. Um, I would say so, yes, there's been, um, there are a few, in the sense of kind of the identifying it as maybe more paranormal haunting activity. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of paranormal investigations that uh, do continuously go on around some of these older, these abandoned mines. And I don't know of any, like I don't personally know anyone who is currently working as a miner uh, to be able to answer that question. And that's, that's a really important thing to uh, address and follow up on. So I don't know, but <laughs> I do know that paranormal investigators do like going into the abandoned mines and looking for spirits, which as we've identified could technically be considered Dominocker. So, okay. Okay. Does that answer your question? Yes, it does. Yes, it does. That And that, that makes total sense. I, I like, even as I was asking, I was like, do they still do mining like they used to? I don't, I don't know. I mean, I know it's still happening, but you know, I think it has grown a bit safer you know back in the day you would have a mine collapse or a, a massive explosion mm -hmm. and hundreds of men would be lost forever just buried forever right yeah. and and you don't hear those stories uh quite as frequently today of course tragedy still strikes and and all of that and it is still emotional and they they still have upheavals but um yeah not not quite as much but that makes perfect sense that there, there's going to be all these abandoned mines and there's still, you know, if the activity was there before, it's still going to be there now and investigators are going to be the ones to find it. So that makes perfect mm -hmm. sense. Okay. With that, let us move on to our other cryptid. Uh, this one, I do know, I, I, I think I know what I'm talking about. <laughs> Everybody thinks they know what they are talking about because pop culture has taken this one up in its in its little hands and uh mm -hmm. and uh the cryptid i am referring to is called the wendigo and some people mm -hmm. even get hesitant to say that word out loud it's almost like mm -hmm. another native american term that i won't say sure right but <laughs> yeah. uh so no need to no, no need, need to bring them in no. <laughs> uh, I, I like peace <laughs> i like my safe home um let's let's just start here with the basic idea the story that everybody knows and then we're gonna we're gonna elaborate go forth okay um well, the story that everybody knows is uh, yeah <laughs> that's that's a hard, hard <laughs> one to actually answer that way so actually i i was thinking about this this afternoon uh and the last couple of days when we were talking about it and i realized that what actually is going on here uh, what actually is going on is that we 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 now have two distinct entities, right? Mm -hmm. um, we have something that has um, formed out of this kind of pop culture literary genre that has created its own thing, and maybe it's better to regard them separately rather than try to say that you know it might be it might be helpful to look at it this way. Because essentially, what most people probably see, the image that appears in most Anglo-American minds mm -hmm. is, it, when the, the word is mentioned, is a, a, a dark figure in the woods with skeletal face of a deer and antlers, mm -hmm. right? 
and that this is some kind of just a dark entity and uh, an embodiment of evil. And we can, I'd say probably Stephen King is partially to blame for that. Well, I blame the, the fans more for taking it on. Because if I remember correctly, the appearance of this creature was in the, the pet cemetery. But I don't think he specifically identified it as a Wendigo. He did describe it this way, though, a dark figure as kind of the embodiment of evil. Mm-hmm. But it was um, others who had picked up on the idea of a Wendigo and kind of attached that image to it as what they assumed it to be. Now, the Native American, the indigenous Algonquin Wendigo, is different. That is a creature that used to be a human being that has succumbed to a condition after being completely corrupted by resorting to cannibalism, right? It's like an ultimate taboo. They've crossed the line and gone to this, you know, crossed this line and by doing so is now cursed to become this cursed creature who is with sunken eyes. Um, Think more like um, resident evil, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Later evolutions, Resident Evil, like really, really creepy, sunken eyes, uh, completely uh, voraciously hungry, will eat and consume, yet will never be satisfied. And this is the punishment for crossing this line, uh, engaging in that taboo of cannibalism. And that is, that's what a Wendigo is. And they are, um, they're nasty beasties, not to be trifled with. And uh, you know, steer clear. Now, later on, um, actually, uh, even before Stephen King, there were like dime novel and um, kind of uh, Pulp Fiction novels that depicted a similar creature with the antlers and and stuff. Uh, And Stephen King kind of took some inspiration from that and went on. So um, that's kind of the origin of this evolution of kind of the pop culture version of the Wendigo. Versus okay. the, the personally more frightening, nasty Hokonquin version. And is that are those? Is that the the m- main misconception or, or misunderstandings that that we're having, or, or are you just trying to kind of separate for us here? The basically the two, the two in, in kind entities. Of, yeah. I mean, generally speaking, yeah. What I would, yeah, and I think it it is a it is actually a, a personal peeve of mine i would say when whenever i see this this antlered creature mm-hmm. and that it's identified or depicted as a wendigo like please please stop doing that mm-hmm. right like i think that's just um it's because it's inaccurate in that con- context right okay, okay. Um, but but also recognizing that it's it is difficult to just do that like it's not the same as like we're not talking like sports teams mascots right like it is it is now a i think it is possible to regard it because it is a literary phenomenon of its own mm-hmm. and maybe that's the distinction right just the fictionalized version and the maybe um misconception okay. that has led to this new other thing right but right. like if you really want to talk a wendigo right so it's it's kind of like yeah it's the difference between total fantasy and um Similarly, like Stephen King's version of Tommyknockers are aliens, right? 
and the 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 literary fiction version of a Wendigo is very different than the Algonquin folklore version of Wendigo. Okay. So that's maybe that's the distinction, and that's the 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 important thing to be mindful of. Right. Well, it's 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 also disrespectful too. Um, it's um, if I'm understanding you correctly, it is it, it's it's a whitewashed version. Yes. Of this yeah. Algonquin legend. Exactly. Yeah. Well, with with that, it, with its ability to spread like that, whitewashed or no, um, I was wondering. So it started with Algonquin lore and legends. Did it? Did other tribes have a, a similar? Did they talk about a, a similar type entity creature, something of their own kind of versions? Mm, not like that. No. Okay. Okay. As far as I know. That is pretty. Uh, that specific type of being mm-hmm. is pretty distinct, and it's a very strong. It it is a very strong cultural element. Actually, um, there are ceremonies around it. There's a lot of elements of it that are tied to um, famine, right? Uh, mm-hmm. um, considerations recognizing, um, like what to do in the case of famine and hardship to avoid the possibility of resorting to the dangerous terrible things that would go along with windigoness yeah yeah and there's an algonquin word for it that i uh, i'm not uh not not, not, not going not to say proficient in the algonquin language oh okay <laughs> okay yeah because uh well i was wondering if, if you weren't going to say it for for other reasons uh which um brings me to the question is aside from this this idea this fact that that it is it, it's disrespectful and especially in the way that we're thinking of it is it is it also something that we should not do um is to name it is so, to like s- talk about like the to, other thing <laughs> well yeah in, in that way yeah like should we not be talking about it should we not be naming the creature not necessarily um that's one of those i mean it's kind of like a, a mindfulness it that particular tradition doesn't necessarily have that um, caution and, and prohibition. Okay. So okay. Also, the other thing we're talking about, we'll say skinwalkers. Mm-hmm. On on the Navajo reservation specifically, what I my experience has been with those Navajo people, Dene, as they call themselves, they only refer to it as SW while on the res. Oh. But, okay. But off the res. They speak, they, they will say it, but not casually, right? Like we're not just going to throw it around and we're not going to say it unless you uh, mean it. Yeah. But it doesn't have the, the, the strong taboo off the res as it does on. And actually for the social theory behind it is that it is more likely to appear if you say its name too many times. And it seems less likely that it would happen if you are not on the res. Oh, okay. Therefore, it's a little more okay. Still okay. not something to be played with. Right. But that is how my, my uh, actually the, um, the uh, Navajo Rangers, uh, John Dover and Stanley Milford, they are my informants on that particular topic. Okay. So, yeah. So it's, it's, it's also uh, just a mindfulness of it i didn't realize that that um 
that it seems to be even more impactful on the reservation as opposed to outside of it. Like it's almost, it's the energy, I don't know, tied to that particular land. Yeah, um, there are, yeah, there's a lot of, well, yeah, there, there's a lot of uh, things to go along with that. But yeah, yeah okay. it seems like maybe, maybe there might be something to that. Yeah. Yeah, well, uh, I appreciate that that extra education. I didn't realize we were we were going to talk about that a little bit. Uh, all all very unnerving, uh, kind of scary, cryptic, cryptic creatures and entities today. <laughs> Perfect for this which, October uh, show. Which again, going back to what we were saying before about kind of this this gray area mm -hmm. of like, can they actually technically be called cryptids? Because right. both are actually human. Right. Right. that have become something else in a similar manner. And that's an interesting distinction too. And another point, I think that, that is a good point to make. I, I have seen or heard people using Wendigo and Skinwalker interchangeably. And that is definitely something that one should not be doing. Yeah, yeah. It is different. Yeah, absolutely. But great, great point. I have seen that myself as well. And at one time I would have done that because... I just didn't think about it. There was even one um, I've seen people do general, like werewolf, dogman, lugaroo, skinwalker, wendigo. Like, uh, what are you doing? That is, those are not the same thing. Right, right. It's just, uh, <laughs> I don't know how that happens, but uh, yeah, it does where they start to meld all of these things, all of these things together. Don't even get me started on on the TikTok renditions of, of what these creatures actually are and what they're doing they're they're creepy but that's not what we're talking about it does give me kind of like uh i have to limit my interactions with uh limit my commenting on instagram sometimes yeah I'm, I'm not the uh not the windigo police but geez <laughs> people people please all right. All right. Well, that uh, this time has gone by so fast. It always does. Um, just a, a wonderful chat again. Um, and thank you so much. We are at the end here. So it is time for final questions, final thoughts. I got something new for you this time. And then uh, and then we'll close it out. So uh, I've only got two for you today. But uh, one, I'm going to have you elaborate a bit. So my first question for you, because I have to ask you, I know we weren't going to talk about it, but I have to ask you, Bigfoot, yes or no, and why? <laughs> uh, yes. Okay. Um, for all of the reasons that you have already laid out in your first episode, um, number one, um, and then some, uh, because of... Um, there's an additional element of the folklore that goes along with it, particularly a, a piece of knowledge that uh, has been passed on to me from uh, an Anishinaabe relative, that they are, it is a being that appears to us when we are not in line with, we're, we're out of sync with nature, something's wrong. So they appear to remind us to get back on that path. So it's, and something to, um, you know, it's an important thing to be aware of. And uh, I kind of think about that in, in the context of uh, all of these, all of these things going on, you know, with uh, climate change and, and um, these, uh, yeah, all, all the crazy stuff going on in the world. 
and why why one of them might appear to you to help remind you to get back on the path. Also, um, personal uh, conversations I've had with, uh, again, the Navajo Rangers who have lots of cases where they went out and investigated them. And for the folks who don't know who the Navajo Rangers are, just really quick, the Navajo Nation, uh, these are these are federal law enforcement officers that um, are work for the Navajo Nation. So res cops to the extreme, um, in addition to their regular police duties, they're officially mandated to investigate what Western society would categorize as uh, paranormal. So Bigfoot, UFO, weird, creepy, whatever. They get a call on it. They're going to go out and investigate it uh, and treat it as as it is to be treated. So, they, yeah, they treat it along with the regular police work. Um, so cases from them, also cases from other adjacent tribal folks, mm-hmm. um, one in particular from Southern Ute. So I know people who have had personal encounters and come at it from that very kind of a, that native way of just accepting it along with everything else. Okay. All right. All right. And uh, one more question for you, um, hmm. because uh, you're you're going to be one of my lovely October guests. We're doing something special this month. Uh, Jason, would you tell us a ghost story? Yes, I would be happy to. <laughs> um, a few years ago, in 2019, I was visiting uh, some friends down in Alamosa, which is a small town in the San Luis Valley of Colorado southern like southern colorado northern new mexico it's a giant arrowhead shaped valley known as a mystic place right um i'm down there i was visiting friends and uh i was actually doing a doing a talk about the supernatural san luis valley and uh, a friend introduced me to uh, someone who had had a remarkable phenomenal encounter at the cemetery the municipal cemetery of Alamosa at a monument the locals lovingly refer to as the witch's grave. They call it the witch's grave because the inscription says that the interred died on October 36 of 1913. 36? So this is, yes, 36, October 36. So all of the the mystical associations, this idea of 36 degrees of Freemasonry and the numerology of 1913, and that the other inscription, uh, another inscription on the, because it's a family monument, there's a tomb, there's one of the other interred uh, passed away on October 31st, uh, years prior. So Halloween, October 36, and this assumption that it's a some maybe associated with some kind of mystical witch's calendar. Um, so the locals then call it the witch's grave. So this individual had said that they went out to the grave. They they had a they had a visitor. They had a friend visiting, and they wanted to go freak them out. So they brought them brought them there and uh, took a few pictures and realized that they forgot the coin. As is the local custom, one must put a coin or something of value uh, on the grave itself to make sure that uh, 
basically to prevent the hitchhiker effect, right? Make sure they don't bring a curse home, make sure they don't bring something home with them. And so he went back to his car to get his coin. And when he, once he got the coin and was getting ready to come back, he looked through the pictures and saw that in the photograph, there is a, uh, so the, the, the statue itself is of a woman holding a wreath. And in her hand, she has her index finger extended and is holding the wreath with the other, uh, with the other turned in fingers. One photo, her finger is extended. The second photo, it is not. All five fingers are now clenched around the wreath. And he freaked out. He said, we got to go. We got to go. Grabbed his friends. They're like, what's going on? I don't know what's going on. And he took them away, drove, <laughs> peeled out, left the cemetery, bat out of hell, got a few blocks down the road before he stopped and showed them. There were four of them, I believe, if I remember correctly. There were four of them in the car. Two out of the other three were really freaked out and excited. The, the fourth one, the, the friend who was supposed to be taken there to be freaked out, wasn't, didn't seem very impressed at all. It's God, it's a shutter trick, whatever. So yeah, they were really freaked out. He he uh, just rolled on this for for days and days, and heard that I was coming around, uh, and thought um, I would appreciate hearing about it. And he shared the photos with me, and we took them and uh, had them analyzed. Actually, I gave them to Heather, and if you remember from the last time Heather was on, mm -hmm. um, and this taps into those non-degree having skills you know she's a you know she's a photographer and she is a really awesome graphic designer so um somebody knows how to make an image you have a pretty good idea of how you would fake something like that if right. if you were to do so and she wasn't able to find any any uh, shenanigans it seems to be each photo appears to be depicting physically what is viewable uh, to the eye whoa whoa how oh my god did you did you guys do any further investigating on that or or that's like just just at well, the point of the photos yeah actually we went we went to the we went to the grave right around golden hour mm -hmm. and and uh, twilight and we took our own pictures Tried to see what we could find. Um, the finger was extended the whole time we were there. None of our photos picked up any anomalies. And I actually ran it by uh, one of my professors because I'm getting ready to actually present this case mm -hmm. at a conference this weekend. Oh, wow. So I ran it by my, one of my professors, the, the demonologist, whose uh, uh, birthday party was happening last time I was on the show. <laughs> uh, he uh, And he pointed something out. Um, this idea of um you know what what happens if you don't give the offering right and he noticed that the individual had forgotten mm -hmm. he took the pictures first right and he had forgotten to put the coin down so when he went and he went back to get the coin and then looked at the looked at the photos and realized that was uh when the anomaly he noticed the anomaly uh -huh. so he had he had danced with <laughs> the consequences yeah of what might happen had you not 
left the offering yeah well he's very yeah. he's very uh it's it's lucky <laughs> that he he thought to uh oh yeah i gotta go get this thing because yeah who knows your professor is absolutely right what are the consequences of forgetting that was uh that that was a chilly story I, there were moments i was like oh no yeah. <laughs> right <laughs> thank yeah. you and I, I i appreciate it. it's a real story like, like you know like like I, I know you and 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 you heard this firsthand and it's you know i i like these personal stories so much so i appreciate it sir uh where uh where would you like to direct folks to find out more to uh follow you uh to learn about any events you got coming down the pike anything like that mm. probably the easiest way is just go to the link tree at paracryptology. Okay. Just put it all together. Paracryptology. And I will probably, I'm, I'm going to try to set it up. Um, we'll do a, um, for our merch store. Um, we've got merch. Go check it out. It's got the old name still, Rockin' Crypto Science Society, because it's still really good, really good, uh, good looking stuff. Um, but for the listeners, today we can do a promo code. For ten percent off, um, I'm gonna try to do Paranorm Girl if it'll all fit. Okay, or we can, we can we you know you can take a, a you know shorter PGP PNG whatever. If you want to do Paranorm Girl, you want to do that. Let's do PGP. PGP. All right, listeners, you heard it. Um, uh, yeah, take PGP, plug it in at their merch store, get ten percent off. And, uh, you know, and you're supporting a great society that does uh, uh, fantastic work and they're doing it for the right reasons. Uh, so I'll, I'll, I'll be sure to do a direct link to the merch platform uh, down below as well. So people can easily find that. And uh, is that all you wanted to plug right now before we we wrap it up? I mean, yeah. I mean, okay. everything's in there. Okay. Uh, blog, YouTube, you know, all the all the stuff. Um and uh, we don't have any specific events coming up, but we'll, yeah, that's where you'll find it if it is. Okay, wonderful. And uh, do you have any uh, final thoughts, words of wisdom, or a piece of advice uh, to leave with us this time around? Don't whistle at night. Okay, we'll leave it at that. Don't do it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> all right yeah. sir um and if you have time hang on after we are finished here we're going to jump backstage to patreon just for like five minutes we're going to talk about a cryptic called moopits moopits is that right moopits moopits okay i've never heard of it i'm excited to uh get that from you but for now jason uh, uh president of the society for arcane studies um folklore master in the making in the making in process Thank you so much once again for joining me. Thank you. Thank you for doing this and sleep with one eye open. <laughs> okay. Thanks. Thank you, Jason, for joining me once again. Always a pleasure. Always learn so much from you. Listeners, follow the goings-on over at the Society for Arcane Studies by visiting the link that I have provided below. And take a moment to visit the merch section on the website. It's a good opportunity to show support for the work that the Society is doing by making a purchase and get 10% off while doing so with the code PGP. There are but three days left until the cutoff to submit your story to be read during Paranorm Girls Trick or Treat Live Halloween Celebration. Again, that is taking place Sunday, October 29th, 
5 p.m. Pacific on YouTube. Get your stories into paranormalgirlpod at gmail.com by this Friday. Don't forget to check out Ghost Tales by the Fireside, produced by Clem Dalloway. His show is incredibly well done. I have been a listener for quite some time, and I'm always looking forward to the new episode. In celebration of October, he is airing a show every week this month. All ghost stories, spooky original soundtracks, and a mesmerizing, calm voice that really brings the telling of these stories to a whole other level and makes them all the more unsettling. Ghost Tales by the Fireside is available anywhere you listen to podcasts. That is a wrap on today's episode. Join me again next week. Stay safe, keep the nightlight on, and sleep with one eye open.